With your host, Andrew Donaldson, this is Heard Tell. You might have heard tell that CRT, critical race theory, has been one of the loudest things in our political and cultural discourse for quite some time now. Folks really get worked up about it, and they really debate it, and it's become quite ugly in a lot of cases, not just in the subject matter of the debate over the term itself and what it means, but in how people are treating each other over it. Uh, We've seen it spill over in the school board meetings. We've seen it all over social media. It's even come into the major media sphere where they're having to cover it. Uh, CRT is everywhere. People have strong opinions on it. People are going to battle over it. But that's where we want to kind of take a minute because you probably heard tell that folks maybe don't even fully agree on what CRT is, critical race theory. If we can't even agree on what it is and what terms it is and what we're discussing, there's absolutely zero chance of having any kind of a productive discourse, debate, or discussion about the subject at hand. If you cannot even define what we're talking about, there's no point arguing about it because now you're just arguing for the sake of arguing without actually being productive about it. CRT has been around for quite a while. It came out of critical race, critical race theory, came out of critical legal theory back in the 70s. But that's the point. Are you talking about the legal theory? Are you talking about the academic exercise of critical race theory? Or are you just talking about CRT, the hashtag buzzword for social media that becomes whatever you want it to mean when you need to attack certain issues, certain people, or certain problems within things like the education system, within things like relations on race and trying to improve those? This is a big, hot mess. Let's just be honest and adults about this. So what we're going to do today on Herd Tell is we're not going to delve into the debate over what CRT actually is, means, is applied, the application and interpretation thereof. You need to do that, though. If you're going to opine about these things, you need to do your research, do your homework, look into it, and make sure you're doing the right things. It's important that you have the right information so that you're not worried about just being right. You're also getting it right. So what we're going to do on Herd Tell today is we're going to turn to our friends at the Narratives Project. Now, we've had them on before. We've talked about them before. We've cited them before. I'm a big fan of the work that they do. They cover how the discourse and how media and people are discussing a topic, not the topic itself, how they're discussing it. And they did a deep dive report on critical race theory. The title of the report is Defining Differences, How Five Major News Publications Define and Operationalize CRT. Operationalize is the important term there because how you define it is going to dictate how you discuss it, how you present it. It's the filters on how you're even viewing it. So if you read a newspaper article or an online news article or see a news clip about CRT, you should be able to tell the filter that that information is coming through. And conversely, you'll want to understand your own filters on this subject for when you put it back out into the discourse on your own social media or when you're talking to friends and family and whoever else discussing this. How we talk about controversial topics is very, very important. And it's never more important than on a very hot button issue like CRT. So from the narrative projects, our friend Sophia Sedergren Booker is going to join us. She was one of the principals on this report. Uh, we are going to link to the PDF. You can read the whole thing yourself. 
where we're going to talk to her through some of the things they found. How did contrasting those five major news organizations tell us how this discourse is going? Is there such a thing as being neutral on a topic like this, even if you're trying to be neutral? And what does it say about our ability to process and issue information based on the research they have? They got data to back this up, and they reached some conclusions that I think you may find interesting. So again, this is going to be a grown folk discussion. This is going to be a behave yourself at the grown folk table and talk about something that's a little tough because we're not going to dig into the buzzwords and the social media and that debate. We're going to talk about how we actually discuss this topic with Sophia Sedegren Booker of the Narratives Project. We're going to talk CRT and how it's covered on Herd Tell right after this. been looking forward to this wanted to do this for a while we have from the narratives project our friend sophia sedegren booker uh and we're going to talk about one of the most controversial topics that's been dominating the uh social media and political and cultural discussions in crt and critical race theory uh how are you ma'am appreciate you joining us thank you so much for having me i'm doing well how are you doing i'm fantastic now like we talked about in the opening uh, we're not actually going to be debating CRT. That's not what we're doing here. What we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about how people are debating it, how people are talking about it, how people are discussing it, or more importantly, how they're talking past each other and discussing it. But that kind of really goes into the wheelhouse of what you and the Narratives Project do. So just for folks that aren't familiar, uh, narrativesproject.com, they're on uh, social media as well. I use them a lot as a writer and an editor for my, but for folks that aren't familiar, can you just tell them what it is you do at the Narratives Project? Because it's a unique way of looking at media and uh, our cultural discourse. Yeah, absolutely. So as you said, um, in relation to the Narratives Project and the CRT report that we have written, our work is not about taking sides. We already have a very fractured media ecosystem that works um, best when people are divided and it increases the division between people. Uh, so we're not advocating for one side over the other, but instead we're talking about the discourse on both the left and right to try to highlight how reasonable people can reach different conclusions based on their values when they look at the same information. Uh, and really, our goal is to help people recognize that their counterpartisans can be reasonable without forcing them to change their point of view. It's okay that we disagree on things because we're all different people. Uh, and we do this by breaking down divisive news stories. Uh, on our website, as you mentioned, narrativesproject.com, to illustrate how our distinct values lead us to interpret information differently. Right. And it, when you're doing the research for this, before we get into the CRT paper, mm -hmm. um, you come from a little bit different background. You're working in America with Americans on this thing. We kind of seem to have this thing. Is this a uniquely American problem of really deep divisions and values and in the discourse, or are we overblowing it? Um, you have a little bit more of an outside perspective. You, you, you come from Sweden and you're working in America is it as bad as we're making it out to be, or is it something that's blown up out of proportion, or is it just the age we live in? How does it land with you when we're talking about division and partisanship, and everybody's always talking about how bad it is? Is it really that bad, or is it just a perception thing? I know that's an impossible to answer questions. It's like one of those uh, university tests, like, and, you know, define God and give two examples, but you have that perspective. 
how's it land with you? Is it overblown? Is it about right? Is it, is it is what it is? What do you think? I think polarization is clearer in America because you have this very distinct two-party system. So it's easy to be on one side or the other. As you mentioned in Sweden, where I'm from, we have eight parties. So there's a little bit more nuance. You might be on the right, but there might be three or four options to be on the right. And the same is with the left. So I think polarization in America becomes more clear to people because there is such a clear distinction between the two parties and the two sides of an issue. Um, I also think that the system in America with uh, kind of the three branches of government that checks and balance one another sets up uh, a platform for disagreement and uh, just checking one another all the time in Sweden where we have a parliamentary system. Basically, once the parliament has decided something that has been decided, there's not this extra step where a law is passed, then the president needs to sign it, and then it can be challenged in the courts if someone disagrees with it. So that's also one of those aspects of the American system that is uniquely positioned to kind of amplify the divide between people. Yeah. And part of the divide is something that you touch on in the CRT report, and you can find it at narrativesproject.com. Uh, it's also available in a PDF, so you can even search it and that sort of good stuff. Um, part of the division that y'all talk about and that you delve into, you have to kind of start with the terminology because just the way you do a descriptor or the way you define the terms or the nomenclature, we might call it, that's setting up where you go with this kind of a really controversial discussion. Um, yeah. You brought up in the report that the way CRT is presented, what were some of those uh, explainers? You talked about there was three main factors in the descript definitions, the descriptors, the descriptors, excuse me, and the pre-existing assumptions of the readers. Um, mm -hmm. Why is that so important to get a hold of before you even delve into the particulars of how something's covered? Yeah, I think what we're trying to do is, um, differentiate between different ways in which we consume information. So when we talk about definitions, descriptors, and assumptions, those are all operating at different levels and are informing our opinion. So a definition in our uh, use of the word in the report is either an, the author's opinion presented as fact. So we're looking at news articles. So when the author is saying CRT is this and presents it as a fact without any debate, we consider that their definition of CRT. In the same way, we consider expert definitions um, also more presented as fact because we lean on experts to support our point. So that's kind of the most um, fact-based use of the term that as presented in the articles. And we will talk about this later, but we will realize soon that even a neutral definition won't be as neutral as you might imagine. The next level of this is the descriptors. So for those, uh, they are not necessarily presented as fact, but they are coming from either uh, a description 
description of how our counterpartisans describe CRT. So a left-leaning newspaper might say, the right says that CRT is this, but that is much more open for debate than saying that this is what CRT is. In the same way, if a description of CRT comes from someone that is not an expert, maybe a parent, because we have this conversation taking place a lot around education policy, or maybe a politician, those are less presented as fact and more than opinions. We have separated those from the definitions that have this separate category of descriptors. And those are also uh, going a little bit further in separating the left and the right. So the definitions might be more similar than what the descriptors are on each side. Um, so those are the two main categories. And then of course, how we present it um, also matters in the context of the article. So if we're presenting it in a light where it looks like CRT could be a solution to a problem that we're having, we're much more likely to feel positively towards critical race theory in contrast to if we present it in a context where it looks like CRT is creating problems, we're much more likely to feel negatively towards the concept. And there's a language barrier just in the nomenclature here because something like CRT that started as an academic thing, uh, yeah. legal, it was a legal uh, theory and went into academia. First time I remember ever hearing about CRT was actually in a transportation management course of all things. And that was, God, 12, 13 years ago, at least yeah. now. Um, but that's the first time I, I heard of it because it was in the in a management type class of talking about organizational structures and power structures. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about something like truth and experts, um, academia has its own language. Um, yes. And a lot of this starts with something that is designed for an academic environment and, and an academic exercise purposefully designed to make people think that's not just going to translate to news media and that's not going to translate right. to social media and it's not going to translate to specifically narratives and political priors that folks have because those are they're not just differences of opinion those are like totally different languages the way people yeah. speak about them. yeah absolutely i i completely agree with you i think that the transition of the crt discourse out of the academic sphere into the public sphere has created a lot of translation issues, which uh, contributes to our tendencies to, instead of talking with one another, we talk past one another because we haven't, um, we haven't taken the time to understand what we're talking about outside of our own definition of the term. And this got really messy with CRT to broaden back out for a minute, and then we'll, we'll crunch mm -hmm. back into the report. The way that that happened was it became sort of an avatar for the ongoing debate over education in America. Uh, we need to be realistic. The education debate comes out of the stuff that happened during COVID because now people are paying attention to education. A lot of them for maybe for the first time because schools were shut down for the first time. It wasn't just this automatic taken for granted thing anymore. Um, those two things kind of collided at the same time and they kind of got melded together. And of course, CRT is an educational thing. There's no denying that, but it really did kind of become an avatar for a, a lot of what people were talking about anyway, didn't it? Yeah. And I think that certainly resonates with people on 
the left or who are supportive of CRT. And this is just a caveat for this entire conversation and really everything we do with the narratives project. We often use the simplification of left and right to discuss these things because it makes it clear to look at two distinct opinions. But of course, that's not true for everyone. There's people on the left that would oppose critical race theory. And in the same way, there's people on the right that would support it. But just for simplicity, when we talk about the left and right in this context, it's we're assuming that the left is supportive of CRT and the right is not. <laughs> but I think that exactly what you're saying is a strong argument on the left that the right is using CRT to complain about a number of things because they use it incorrectly. <laughs> but for people on the right, they think that their understanding of CRT is true to them within their terms. So they would say that this is a real threat to education. And that's why they're so adamant about opposing it. Yeah, you wrote it, uh, you put it in the report. I, I should say it wasn't just you writing this report, but you are representing the narratives project. So I want to make sure we give everybody credit here. Um, but it's written this way in the report, quote, as the CRT discourse is often centered around education and schooling, a person's priors around the purpose of education also play an important role in their interpretation of CRT. Uh, the problem with that, of course, is America, I don't think we have a good national consensus on what education is. And we saw this again to bring up the COVID again, because it just brought, you know, crisis reveals things. There's yeah. a debate in America of what is education? Is it to prepare kids for college? Is it to prepare kids for life? Or is it this giant daycare and jobs program? So when you have those divergent views on education to start with, and that's a very controversial topic because nothing fires people up like messing with their kids. That's just how politics works. Um, that's already a highly controversial topic. You're going to put an even more controversial topic on top of it. That's almost an impossible environment to try to get to anything uh, even close to a consensus or even a productive narrative, isn't it? Yeah, that's an excellent point. I think that we have these very strong views on education and they feel natural to us. And it's therefore easy to assume that this is how people view education. But when you look at it, as you said, there's all these different views of what education is supposed to do. And in the report, we're given the example of uh, education being either an engine for positive social change or an institution where we learn from our past accomplishments. And this is only one aspect of the education debate, but I think that if you have one lens over the other, that will impact how you view new topics like critical race theory, because you will put that new concept within your already existing view of what education is. Yeah, and it leads to... I don't want to say it's the heart of the report, but there's there's definitely a thread that runs through this entire report on CRT. Again, we're talking about how CRT is discussed in the discourse, not the actual you know merits of the different sides of it. The, there's a real running thread through this, and you kind of explicitly deal with it in the conclusion of there's really no such thing as neutral, is there? Because the I know we try to talk about biases and we talk about you know academic freedom or academic neutrality or things like that. 
when it comes to something like this, there's just no such thing because there's so many layers to it. You have to have a rudimentary understanding of certain things just to talk about this. And that means you're going to have priors well-worn into how you view something like critical race theory. And then the bigger things that you deal with, like race, like education, there's just no such thing as neutral really here, is there? Even though you're trying really hard and your brand is to be neutral, there's no such thing as neutral here, is there? Yeah, that's exactly right. I, um, what we're trying to get at is not saying that because we can't be neutral, we're bad, or this is a tested conversation because we can't be neutral. We're trying to emphasize that it is a natural human behavior to not be able to neutrally absorb information. We have to put it within our existing frameworks and contexts to make sense of what is happening. We can't just look at something and then ignore everything that we have experienced and everything that we believe in and interpret something neutrally. So personally, I am not a postmodernist. So I do believe that there are facts out in the world, but I'm also well aware of that we are not particularly good as human beings at just neutrally absorbing those facts. We need to put them within our own narratives for them to make sense to us. And that is what makes it so difficult to discuss something like CRT because we can't understand it without also putting it within our understanding of what America is, what education is and how we view the world. And that's just the basis for this uh, context where we talk past each other rather than with one another. And you know, to go back to something we touched on earlier, uh, America is somewhat unique in the world because we're so diverse and we're so, so much of a pluralistic society. Unlike you go to, you know, many European countries or other parts of the world where you have smaller populations that are a lot more, a uh, lot less diverse, not in a bad way. They just are. It's the way it is. America is a big place with a lot of different people from a lot of different places. It's, it's almost built into the cake with this because like we talked about CRT started out as, a, as an academic theory and academic exercise to broaden people's worldviews and experiences. And you're saying in the report, and I'll just quote it to you, that, um, quote, we can try to get a fuller picture of the debate by seeking out viewpoints and contradicting our own, but claiming to approach some topics from a neutral point of view is, as far as we can tell, impossible given our distinct experiences and worldviews. There's kind of an irony here, isn't there, that something is CRT, which was designed to expand worldviews, it's almost doomed from the start from doing that very thing in the current environment because of that same problem. It's kind of funny how that worked out, isn't it? I mean, it, it's causing a mess, but isn't that just, it, it almost proves its own point to its own detriment. I don't know how you'd say that real fancy, but isn't that what kind of happened here? Yeah, and I think that the great distinction here in academia, it was presented as this one lens that you can use to look at a problem. And when we discuss it in the public debate, it has turned into the way that we view or should not view things. So instead of using it as one tool in a toolbox of various different ways that you can look at a problem, we're now discussing this as being applied universally to all problems that we look at as the only frame. And I think that that's where we have a lot of the disagreement between the left and right, because to some people, race is an issue that touch on all aspects of society and we need to 
acknowledge and account for that, while to others, race is one factor in society, but it's not the most important one. And by constantly reminding ourselves of what people's race are and how race are playing a role in society, we're actually creating more focus on race, which is to people who oppose CRT, a negative thing. You went about this report. Uh, and one of the things that kind of drew you to the there's no such thing as neutral conclusion was you were trying to take five different media outlets. Um, and I see what you were trying to do. You were trying to do a spectrum from the left to the right and have a center. You couldn't really find a center for this one is kind of what happened. And, and, and I know some people that do just straight media commentary might roll their eyes at the specific outlets you picked. But the, the truth is, every outlet has a little diversity inside of itself anyway. But talk about how that happened and got you to the neutral part, because um, I, I think media bias is kind of a rabbit hole. It's, it's got limited uh, use in the, in the discourse because all human beings have bias, so therefore everybody's going to have bias. But on this, when you tried to put that spectrum together, there was no neutral here, but there was some very distinct differences as you went across the spectrum with these five outlets. Yeah, so... I think this happens a lot in research. You go into the research with certain questions and certain expectations of what is going to happen. But then when you're in it, you realize that, oh, this is actually not how things come together. And then you have to acknowledge that and adjust for that in uh, your findings. So as you mentioned, we looked at five different news outlets that were uh, supposed to represent the left, uh, leaning left position, and then a center, leaning right and right position. And what we found was that there is uh, distinctions between these four, or five rather, but uh, we can see that both the furthest left and furthest right hold more uh, firm and strongly articulated positions while the lean right and lean left hold similar positions, but they're articulated a little bit milder or a little bit more neutrally. What we were expecting was that the center position would just be neutral, but it's not. <laughs> Instead, we found that a center position is a balance between articulating positions on the left and positions on the right. So instead of leaning towards we oppose CRT or we are for CRT, the center newspaper focused on this is why people are for CRT and this is why they're against it. And they tried to balance that without actually presenting something that would be considered a center position. See, this is fascinating. So is it fair to say then that because the, the presumption in, especially in the American political discourse is that the center is just for people who don't care and they just kind of, you know, meticulate down and they kind of filter to the middle and they get stuck there because they're lazy or they don't care or whatever. But the data that you're looking at, especially on an issue like that, the center is actually more of an evolution than anything else. Isn't it? Is that fair to say? I know that, I know that's a really broad brush, but it, it kind of cuts a cut because, you know, I kind of get tagged as a centrist and I'm like, well, I'm not really a centrist. That's just how it winds up sometimes. But the center really is a position that can be well thought out on some things like that, because like you said, they're, they, they didn't just wind there by accident. They articulated their way there. Right. And it's in this particular instance, it's almost 
not taking a position. It's almost being a little bit on the fence because there's never a, uh, a situation where uh, the Hill, which was the center newspaper that we uh, chose, said that this is what we think of CRT as like the center. It was always an article where someone argued either from a left point of view or from a right point of view and presenting those together was like the resolution of being center. Like we're center because we're presenting these opposing points of view. And I think as part of the work that we're doing with the narratives project, that's a good way to help people see the other side. And again, we're not trying to have people look at the other side to have them change their mind, <laughs> but we want people to see the other side so that they can better understand their counterpartisans, but also their own position. Why are these arguments that I'm, the arguments that I'm articulating more important to me than the arguments that my counterpartisans are articulating? And that's really at the core of this, that because we come to the conversation about critical race theory from different perspectives, certain things are gonna be more important to us. And that might be one of the factors that determine what you think about the theory. And two of those theories that you use, and, and again, we're broad brushing this a little bit just so we can talk about it. Um, but you talk about two dominating myths uh, yes. that feed into this. And, and I, I want to preface this the way you do. We're not talking about myths as a derogatory here. We're, we're saying myths as in like um, word of mouth, almost like the oral history of how you right. learned about your country. And the, so myth in a good way, this is not a negative connotation because some people might recoil here, but uh, these two myths are the oral traditions of how you learned about your country. And you said there's a progressive myth of America and a patriot myth of America. Um, and again, I don't the, don't get caught up on the nomenclature there because, you know, I consider myself a patriot. Uh, I right. think my love of America is pretty well documented at this point on various levels. Uh, but you say, you know, if you grew up with the, the progressive oral history of America or the patriot oral history of America, those are two very divergent paths of the same story. How did how did you use those in this report and how does it kind of play into the CRT narrative, too? Yeah, um, that's a great question because, again, we're working with oversimplifications here. These are two crude kind of broad brushstrokes of two myths. And I think most people have a view of America that falls somewhere in between these. But what we set up as the Patriots myth is the idea that America is a beacon of liberty and has been fighting for freedom and justice for all people throughout the history of America as a country. Um, and that in America, everybody, regardless of their race or their social status or their creed can become successful and we can all live together and succeed together. So that's the basis of the Patriots myth. And if you look at the progressives myth, they are much more critical of the founding of America and that and argue that there are flaws to the American system that are built into our institutions because America was founded by white slave owners that built a system that would benefit them over others. And that has replicated throughout history, creating a society 
where some people are being favored over others and at the expense of others. And we have to adjust for that and make sure that everybody gets the opportunity that they ought to have. And those two distinct views uh, create a very different approach to critical race theory because if you're coming to CRT with the perspective that we have severe flaws in our society, CRT can be a theory that can illuminate those and help us work through those. But if you're coming to critical race theory from a perspective that America in general is a good place and we've already worked through most of our challenges as a country, applying critical race theory would feel over the top and almost retrograding back to a more racist society. Yeah, and to get it back to what's making this uh, discussion so complicated on the the uh, social discourse level is the fact that those two divergent views become readily apparent. And again, this is why this is as a separate issue was already hot and debated in education, because those two views dominate how you think education be. Should you be teaching uh, using, and I'll just quote from the report again, Narratives Project. In fact, the, the actual title of the project is Defining Differences. Well, the education system is where the difference is because, and again, these are the extremes because we're just using the, the broad brush for the discussion. You know, education is an engine for change or education as a promotion of the past and the accomplishments of the good to build on the future. That's the classical progressive conservative divide. It's just new nomenclature. It's just specific to education. But when you look at it as those two those two paths to get to it, um, you can see where CRT is just going to be almost a non-starter for a lot of people in discussing it from the go, especially when you put it in an educational context. And now you're talking about people's kids and what age is appropriate and these sorts of things for some really, really heavy topics that are, frankly, this is stuff we've not done well talking about for the entire existence of our country. Yeah. And I think what you brought in when it's about people's children, it becomes even more personal. And it's all well and good to discuss something in the abstract, but when you talk about it in your personal sphere, when it happens to your children in school or to yourself in the workplace, we become much less able to see uh, what's happening in a greater context because it's so personal to us. And that is definitely something that is complicating the CRT discourse because we are focused on these very important values that we hold very strongly. And this goes for everyone. This is not like, oh, the left is holding strong values and therefore they are unreasonable or the right is holding strong values and therefore they are unreasonable. But this goes for everybody. And we all have these values that we have established to lead our lives. And we want to live a morally good life. And CRT becomes entangled in all those values and all those views, making it really difficult to talk to someone coming from a completely distinct perspective and understand where that person is coming from. Yeah, and that delves into kind of part of the concluding statement of the report when you said, and I'll quote it to you, because CRT touches on our deepest beliefs about what America stands for and the roles of education, bridging the gap between left and right goes deeper than just agreeing upon or enforcing a standard definition. 
we've already talked about there's no really such thing as neutral here. We've talked about how people come at this. Um, is part of the breakdown here that we're trying to define something that we're just naturally going to have different definitions of? And maybe we shouldn't even bother with that piece of it and, and just say like, okay, you define it differently than me, but let's just acknowledge that and then try to talk about it. Because if you start down the definition path, that's almost like an absolute truth where like, well, I can't, I can't budge on this piece of it. Uh, is that what you're finding after you did all this study and all this research on the media narratives? Yeah, I think that is a central aspect of our findings. And that's that a lot of people approach this as if it is a neutral topic that they have some distance to. They, we perceive it as though we can define this without any bias. And what we're finding is that that is not the case. We're all introducing bias into our definition. And I think in order to have good conversations about it, as you stated, we have to first acknowledge, okay, your definition of this is X and my definition of this is Y. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that my definition is correct and yours is incorrect or vice versa. It just means that because we are two different people with different experiences and different values, we have defined this differently. And from that, it's a lot easier to have conversations about how we feel about it and why we think it's important or not important to introduce CRT in education, because then we know where the other person is standing. Because if we're approaching the conversation thinking as many people on the left do, that CRT is a way to recognize and address racism in society. If someone is opposed to it, it's easy to jump to the conclusion that they're racist. <laughs> Likewise, if you're coming from the right and have your definition that uh, CRT ascribes racism to parts of American society, whether or not it exists, it's easy to conclude as someone who is for CRT is trying to make us more racist or trying to make people feel bad about being white. And when we look at it from those two distinct positions, it's easier to understand why people can either be so favorable towards CRT or so against it without passing judgment on them as people. Not just on the CRT thing, but since you do the narratives projects and y'all, you know, you watch media in in on the whole, um, is 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 there? Are you seeing any rays of light? Because we just talk about all these differences, and we talk about you know the media narrative being broken up and people's priors and all this. When you're doing all this research, not just on CRT, but in general, do you do you find that there's a a appetite for people to have something that is not just being told the news, but being told, hey, here's how you can approach the news. And I know, you know, obviously you have the business model to try to do that. But are you finding there's an appetite? Because I find that there, there is people out there that just want a better way of doing things. Are you finding that too when you do the research? Does the numbers back that up? Not just for finding good people and kind of congregating together as good folks of good faith. Yeah, I think there's certainly an interest in understanding why there are such strong disagreement. Um, just from a personal perspective, it's, it's difficult to have to think that someone is 
not trying to think about something critically. I want people to be critical thinkers, and I'm interested in understanding where people who disagree with me are coming from, both because it is an intellectual win, because you can actually understand your own arguments better, but also an emotional win, because you don't have to be upset about people disagreeing with you. It doesn't have to be this very strong negative reaction to someone having a different opinion than you do, because you can see that they also have good reasons to end up in that place. So I definitely think that there is an, an interest among people to better understand both themselves, but also others to get out of that very polarized place where there's so much negativity. Um, to kind of put a bow on this with the CRT is something that was actually one of the takeaways at the beginning of your report. Um, one of the main problems that y'all defined with uh, the CRT conversation, again, we're talking about the broader conversation, how we have that, not the actual uh, theory of CRT. Um, you, you, and I think this is really, really important, not just in CRT, but in other things. You talk about how the, the two sides that we're talking about here you have somebody that wants something recognized and you have another side that feels like it's being ascribed yeah. um, just linguistically. And as we approach, you know, just lay people like us that aren't in academe and have those nice letters after our names and such, and just talk for a living. Um, how do we be cognizant of that? Cause that seems like a really useful tool to have when you're talking to people, people that recognize that want something recognized, like this is important to me. You, you need to acknowledge this. And then mm -hmm. people who hear that, but go, no, you're ascribing that you're putting that on me. That's yeah. just a linguistic thing in a lot of ways. What's a way that we can kind of approach that and, and break that barrier down of, I can hear you out and understand that you're talking broadly and, and not take that personal. And the other people can understand like, look, I'm probably more invested in it than this person, but if I can get them to at least understand that it's an issue, uh, what's kind of linguistically the way to attack that? I think that, the key is to recognize that language is an expression of how we feel and how we think about things. So yes, there's a linguistic difference between recognizing versus ascribing something, but that is also tied to a very strong feeling and thought about what this means for us personally, but also for us as a society. Because if you think that there is a need to recognize systemic racism, that is an expression of the belief that there are fundamental differences between people in America based on race. And that is something that, assuming everyone wants to address. People don't want there to be differences between people because of something arbitrary like race. The flip side of that is people who think that, yes, there might be differences between people of different races, but it's not majorly because of the race. It can be other factors that are playing in. And that's when the position of ascribing racism comes in because if you think, yes, there are differences, but it's not because of the race, it just has a correlation with race, you would feel less excited about talking about race all the time because that is not the main issue in 
society. You see other problems that are much more important that need addressing and focusing solely on race takes away from that, which pivots the conversation in an unhelpful direction. And we all just want to solve our societal problems. The difference is what we think is the root cause of the problem. <laughs> right. Well, this was a nice, easy topic to talk about, right? Easy. <laughs> uh, Sophia Sedegren Booker, I appreciate you so much. Uh, let folks know where they can find the narrative projects and where they can find your further work. Um, uh, probably all downhill from here because that was a nice hard topic. So maybe the next one will be a little easier. But uh, tell folks about the narrative project again a little bit more, how they can find it and how they can follow it and put it in their information rotation like I do. Yeah, well, we talked about today is kind of a very deep dive into a specific topic, but we do shorter breakdowns of different news stories every week. Uh, that we publish on our website, narrativesproject.com, and also across our social media. We're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn, and you can find us under Narratives Proj. <laughs> and uh, they explain it so well that even I can understand it, so you yeah, have no problem. <laughs> it's, it's a great tool, especially uh, on your social media feeds when something's really hot. They'll put, a, put out a quick little thing of just hey, here's the two different sides attacking it. And it just gives you a little perspective. I know they did it on, on things like some of the court cases and things. So I highly recommend you check it out. But uh, Sophia Sedergren Booker, I so appreciate your time today, ma'am. Really appreciate the information. And uh, hopefully more folks will do what we did and just kind of try to take a slow approach and kind of work through a real hot topic, turn the noise down a little bit and see if they can go through it. So thank you so much for your time, ma'am. Thank you so much for having me. It was great to chat with you. Thank you, ma'am. I really appreciate it. Writing in the introduction to critical race theory and introduction, Richard Delgado, who was one of the founders of critical race theory, wrote this, and I want to quote it to you. None of my professors talked about race or ethnicity. It was apparently irrelevant to the law. None of my professors in the first year talked about feminism or the concerns of women either. These concerns were also apparently irrelevant. Nowhere, in fact, did the case and materials we read address concerns of group inequality, sexual difference, or cultural identity. There was only one law, a law that in universal majesty applied to everyone without regard to race, color, gender, or creed, end quote. That's the environment in which these folks were in trying to discern and discover and dig into critical race theory as we now currently understand it. It's a legitimate criticism. The reason universal majesty, which is, of course, sarcastically used there of the law, is because the law is written by people. And all people have biases and prejudices and failings. So it's understandable that we should approach something like the law that tries to be universal, understanding that it is written and practiced and concerns folks that are still human beings. Now, critical race theory has been extrapolated out to mean a lot of different things over the years beyond what just the legal theory that they were addressing there. If you want to criticize the origins of the theory or say that there was some Marxist ideology in there, those are fair criticisms. You can dig into that sort of thing. But the idea of trying to find better ways to be more fair, the concepts and the complaints that the justice system can't be completely blind, no matter how best we are, is just an abject fact. Because, again, like we said, people are flawed, but we can make it as blind as possible. And some of that starts with listening to things we don't want to hear. Sometimes that means listening to folks coming from places ideologically that we know we don't agree with. We can still hear them out. And then when something becomes bigger than what it was originally intended and becomes a buzzword, 
We need to turn down the noise on that and remember that we're still dealing with people, people that we have to live with, people that we have to work with in things like seeking justice and running a country and representative democracy. We can have these debates, but we need to turn down the noise on them. We need to skip the buzzwords. We need to try to take the invective out of it as much as we can and understand that folks are just trying to get through things as best they see them. And often they see them very differently than us, and they have very different experiences than us that make them see that that way. It doesn't cost you anything to take a second and understand that part of it first, and then see if maybe you can learn a little something even from somebody you greatly disagree with. No, CRT probably shouldn't be the discerning thing in our land that explains everything, because it can't. There's no such thing as one thing explaining everything. But it's something you ought to learn about. You ought to educate yourself about and put it in your information rotation so that you have a better understanding of everything, even if it doesn't explain everything. That'll do it for Herdtel. Thank you so much. Uh, we have started to do Herdtel Radio. That's the daily segment of what we try to do here. Make sure you check it out. If you're already subscribed on any of the podcasting platforms or YouTube, you're going to get it automatically. You'll already get it. That means you'll also get Herdtel podcasts like this one that we did on CRT with our friends from the Narratives Project. Uh, deeper dives, deeper conversations. Those will usually be coming out at the end of the weeks on Friday through the weekends, and you can get them anytime on iTunes, Spotify, uh, YouTube for the video portion, wherever you get your podcast. We sure appreciate it. If you can leave a rating or a comment or both, that would be great. Let's folks know that our little program is worth checking out as we continue to try to turn down the news cycle noise and get to important information with really knowledgeable guests. We have some amazing ones lined up. We don't want you to miss any of them. You really want to do us a solid? Share us on your social media. Let people know where to find us and that we are worth their time because we're asking for the most precious thing you have, a little bit of your time. We're never going to waste it, and we're always going to respect it by giving you the best possible herd tell that we can. We sure appreciate you wherever you are across the street or around the world. We hope you and yours are well. We hope you're well fed. Until we talk to you next time on Herd Tell, y'all take care. All the music on Herd Tell is provided under a creative content license from MonsterCat.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.